0: Jesus, we truly do need you more than life. We truly do need you as we transition, as we change, as we move through different life events. For those in here who are facing struggles that are bigger than they, Lord, I pray that you would give them peace that passes all understanding. For those who are about to start a new journey, establish their footsteps for those who have seen your hand of blessing and the start of something new. I pray that they would not forget the God who has brought them thus far. Father, I pray for those today who need to be reminded of your love and your presence pray for those today who need to know your love and your presence. As we open the scripture today, as we, as we talk about things that are of kingdom value, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. If you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Starting in verse 26. If you uh, need one, there's a black hardback Bible in front of you. It should be page 917. Uh, If you're using your phones, it should be screen 9421, depending on your font size. Um, So, today, uh, like Mike said in the video earlier, Mike uh, is is filling in for uh, a pastor friend of his who's had recent surgery and is recovering. And he asked me several weeks ago to prepare a sermon on relational evangelism. Ironically, I was in the midst of a mission trip, um, getting four and five hours of sleep, because that's what we were doing. And so it made sense. And so some of that experience is going to come in. I I want to to share with you three cups today. Um, It's not because I'm thirsty, uh, but we're going to talk about a cup of cold water We're going to talk about a cup of coffee, and because I'm a little clumsy, it's empty. Um, And then finally, we'll talk about the cup of communion. And so as we look at the gospel message today, as we look at those who have spoken the gospel message, I want to show you a couple of things that help us understand how it is that we are to live our lives. If you are a follower of Christ, it is mandated, it is commanded that we be about sharing the gospel. But I think we have in our minds that when that is spoken, that it is to be this going up to some random person's door, knocking, having our literature in place, smiling a cheesy, unuseful smile. Is unuseful a word? It <clears throat> doesn't matter. Um, I've got an editor who's like, that's a terrible word. Why did you say that? Um, and then starting on a spill. But I don't think that's what evangelism should be. In fact, I think that's a very ineffective approach. So I want to share with you two approaches that I think are very helpful. And then boil it all down to one thing, one big idea that every time we come together, when we gather in this place and we take the elements of the communion, that we're remembering something important. And so I want today first to introduce you to a man named Philip in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Verse 26. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. I want you to to picture this. Philip is just having a regular day and finds himself um, compelled by the spirit to walk along the road to Gaza. Fairly well-traveled road, Kind of a big deal. And he's just walking along doing life. And in the midst of that, this large procession comes through. And here's this eunuch. And compelled by the spirit, he goes up closer and he begins to hear familiar words. Words from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Kind of walking along. Maybe the chariot's got a pretty good clip. So maybe he's jogging. Maybe he's winded. We don't know. But when we get to this point... They stop, and he asks the question, Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch, who has no reason to exude humility, does exactly that and says, I can't. Not without somebody to explain it. Why don't you come up here and tell me what I'm reading? And so that's exactly what Philip does. He gets into the chariot and begins at that very scripture. That's a key that if you're, gonna, if you're writing in your own Bible, circle that because that is huge. He starts right there. And he begins to open up the the idea of the gospel, and he begins to share who Jesus is. I think we can conclude, based on what happens next, that the eunuch buys it. In fact, the eunuch is so excited by this, he doesn't want to wait. He looks around, and there may be a, a ditch, a little bit of water, not much there, but it's enough. And he's excited, he understands what's required of him, and he says... There's water. I want to identify with this Jesus. Can we do this now? Philip, being a man of action, says, Well, okay, sure. He goes down. We assume there's enough to dunk him. We don't know that for sure. He goes down, he comes back up, and Felt is gone. Now, Trekkies have an answer as to what happened next. <laughs> Doctor Who may, Doctor Who fans may have an answer to what happens next. All we know from the scripture is somehow he's here, and then the next thing about him is that he's 20 miles away. I'm good, but I'm not that good. Something supernatural happens. He's here and he's there, which would be great for Houston traffic. But at this point, this is post um Post resurrection, pre automobile, and Doctor Who, and everything, unless he somehow shows up. Okay, so he transports 20 miles away. We don't know how, but the unit goes back to his life, rejoicing. And Philip goes back to exactly what he was doing just before that, sharing the gospel. Now, I look at this and I think, I would love for it to happen like that. I'm a Bible teacher. I just love, I would love for somebody to come up and go, Hey, I was reading this Old Testament stuff, and I don't get it. Can you explain it to me? For those who don't know, I'm an Old Testament teacher. I would love to just sit down and go, Let's take the scroll of Isaiah and start right where you are. But that's not likely going to happen unless it's one of my students who's in my class. And probably not going to happen with you either. But one thing we can pick up from Philip is that this is who he was from the very, very beginning. When we are first introduced to Philip, we don't see him in the book of Acts. We see him in the Gospels. And he encounters Jesus, and the very next thing he does is he he banks on the fact that his family relationships are going to want to pay attention to this. And so he goes to his brother and says, I think I found the Messiah. That's a huge claim in the first century I think I found the Messiah Come and see What you may not know Is that his brother's kind of significant In the first century His brother's name is Simon We know him as the Apostle Peter Philip is the guy Who told Peter about Jesus That's his life That's how he operates He is always about Telling people about The message of Christ At the very beginning, he only had this much information, but that's all he needed. As he grows in his understanding, he's able to use more, and this is a demonstration of that. If we look a little bit up in chapter 8, in verse 4, we see Philip at work again. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ... And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was much joy in that city. Philip lived a life of obedience. And so when he is compelled by the Spirit to take a walk, that's what he does. I don't think he knows when he goes on that walk the person with whom he will converse. I don't think he knows what's going to happen next, but he does know that the Spirit is leading him. And so he follows the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and then as he's walking, as he's doing life, as he's going, here comes this Ethiopian eunuch. The Spirit goes, that one. He goes, already there. I'm with you. And we get to the other side. The Ethiopian eunuch goes back. And I think maybe, just maybe, Philip's witness to that Ethiopian eunuch began to spread because when he went back, he took it with him. And then those who would have heard about that from Candace's court would have told others and told others and told others. And so I think Philip gives us this picture of what it looks like to follow in obedience. It's not a mistake today that while... Uh, part of my task in in being at this place is to be a youth pastor and to send out a handful of upcoming freshmen. That the thought in my mind is as you are going, live out the gospel. And as bittersweet as it is, because I have a strong connection with the the upcoming freshmen, um, all of us are still to have the same command, the same commitment, the same walk. But how do we go about that? I venture to say that only a handful of you would be comfortable doing what I'm doing right now. In fact, my son is dressed in a shirt and tie and would not dare step foot up here uh, to speak in front of people. And that's awesome, because he isn't like me. And so he lives it differently than I do. A few of you might be compelled. Adam, you're next. Might be compelled to come up here, but most of us Preaching isn't your thing. So how do you now go? How do you now live this out? Well, I think the first one comes in a cup of water. Just a regular, plain old styrofoam cup and a <laughs> You got two ways that you can take a cup of water. You can take it intentionally, and you can take it incidentally. Intentionally, you take a cup of water on purpose, Back in July, when several of the students and I went, we went on a planned out mission trip to Baton Rouge. We spent a week there, we did painting, we did scraping, we did a lot of grunt work, and it was about like it was here, hot and sweaty and normal. But when you have trips like that, when you have planned out events like that, or you do something a little more local, uh, there's thought that's already gone into it. You only have so much time. The intentionality of this is that you've planned it out. This can be a solo project. This can be a group project. But you're going with a purpose. And often going to solicit the question, why are you here? You're a student from an RK Sugarland. Why are you in Baton Rouge? Couldn't you do something else with your time this summer? Why are you here? In the first service, I asked one of our adults who went with me his answer to that. And I planned on asking my daughter Melody because she also went and this was her second year going. And the reason I was going to ask Melody is because she had it down to a science. It was almost artistic the way she painted her words. Because she would say things like, Well, we're here because we want to tell others that Jesus loves them, but we want to show them first. And so we're here serving. And in this intentional act, We want very much for you to know that Jesus loves you. Now, when I went, the group that I was leading had one student that I knew and a bunch of students that I didn't know. That's just the way the program's designed. Every other group but ours was sent to these neighborhoods that had police protection because they needed it. There were officers around. People were walking down the street going, Why are you here? It doesn't get any better than that if you really want to evangelize. If somebody comes up to you and goes, why are you here? Well, I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) And then there's my group. My group gets put on this street where it's like the cleavers have come to rest. And those of you who get that reference know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's just everything's as awesome as it could be. Nobody's passing by. We don't have any police protection. We don't need it. I'm the biggest guy on the street. Um, There's no worries. And so my crew's getting upset. They have no opportunity to tell people why they're here. They have no person coming up going, why are you here? And so they're all disappointed. And so as we're walking through our project, uh, we were painting uh, one of the the ladies' houses. And we got about three-fourths of the way through, and we needed more paint. They brought us more paint, but it was the wrong color. I wanted to improvise, I thought about it, let's just get this done, I wanted to finish the project. And so I called ahead and said, hey, I need more paint, bring me more paint, change the color, please. Uh, and okay, we'll get it to you. 45 minutes passes, an hour passes, and we finished up everything else that needed to be done and we still didn't have paint. And so I looked at my team and I said, okay, we're gonna do this. You people go that way, you people go that way and walk down the street. And just pray. And as you pray, the Spirit's gonna lead you to people that you get to talk to. And they started kind of freaking out. <laughs> what am I what if they like me? And there wasn't a worry if they didn't like it. Like, what if they want to talk? Can they have more than one thing to say? Then talk to them. Oh, okay. So they went, and they had an adult with him. I wasn't irresponsible about that. And um, you know, They're walking down the street, and, and they began to pray, and they, they knocked on houses. And then as they walked through that, they encountered um, a lady who was on her way to work. She wasn't quite leaving yet, but she was on her way to work. And she was involved in home health care, always serving people, always helping people. And they all went up and they began to talk with her and she was just excited that they came to visit and then they walked away. Felt like the conversation was over. They got about 10 steps away from the house and all of them just stopped. And they looked at each other and they said, we have to go back. No, she's got to go to work. And they began coming up with all these excuses but they went back. And when they went back they said, we just feel compelled to come in and physically show you that we love you and so we just want to give you a hug. And she broke down and began to cry. She said, I'm serving people all the time, nobody has ever served me. And a handful of students in an adult's lives were changed. And one woman who had an opportunity to have somebody show up at her house out of the blue also had her life changed. And so in those intentional acts of service, you can't always plan the full opportunity, but you take advantage of it as it comes. But if you are constantly being obedient to what Christ is showing you, then it becomes a matter of, I'm here, how do you want me to work today? I'm here, you're putting people in my path, what do you want me to say? And here's the thing, you don't have to be a practiced preacher to be able to do it. In fact, it usually works better if you're not. (laughs) People can smell it, preacher. (laughs) Maybe it's the slick back hair. I don't know. I'm often hesitant to say who I am when I meet new people. Like, hi, I'm Wes. Um, Or in scholastic settings, hi, I'm Mr. Pogue. Um, What do you do? I'm a teacher. Not because I'm ashamed of what I do, but because I don't want a wall to go up and meet, oh, you're one of those. And then somebody, their vocabulary generally changes. We won't go into all that. Things change, things get different. But the great thing is when you're not a a professional Christian, it's so much easier. Now, the other side of the the cup of water is an incidental cup of water. And again, it follows in the step of obedience. The incidental cup of water, the I'm just going to serve you because I see a need kind of moment. If I'm driving down the road, and my wife and my children can attest to this, if there's somebody on the side of the road everything in me wants to stop. And I have to factor in who's with me, what am I doing, what time is it, is it dark, do I have small children in the car? And I still hesitate because I want to help. I want to serve. Recently, uh, my six-year-old Emily and I were driving. We had gone to uh, the library in Richmond and we were coming back home. And as we were driving back, I saw a guy who was loading... Uh, tree trunks into his truck. And he had a, a tractor and was just doing it. So I was just going to stop and run chains for him so that he could stay on the tractor and get it done quickly. And so we start moving stuff, and I realized that most of it's dead, so it's not really heavy. So he picks one up and he chains it, and while he's turned around, I grab one and take it to the truck. And he's all, no, no, you can't do that. You're going to hurt your back. And it, it was dead, so it wasn't very heavy. And that's not, ooh, look at me, but that was an opportunity. And so we kept going, and we got it all loaded, and at the end of it... He looked at me and he said, what church do you go to? And I told him where. He said, I thought so. Because you're acting like a Christian. And in this case, he was a fellow brother in Christ. But in those opportunities when we stop, we take a moment and we have one thing that we can say. And we answer the question, why are you here? I stopped because I saw you had a need. That's very practical. But I also stopped because the love of Jesus Christ compelled me to stop and tell you that Jesus loves you and is aware of your needs. The object, the the idea behind the cup of water is always one point. And you don't get much time for it. And that is this to connect the people we serve to a local church that will communicate the gospel and communicate discipleship in such a way that they will get it themselves. Oftentimes, the cup of cool water is just a seed planted, just a seed watered. Not very many times a time to, to drag in the net, if you will, and lead somebody to Christ. If you're changing a tire on the side of the road, the chances aren't great that the next step is let me tell you about Jesus and let's spend another five minutes talking about that but you can use that as a springboard to say I'm here because I love Christ and I want to help you I go to a church that's not far from here if you're ever interested stop by what I think is more effective though is the second cup cup of coffee and again because I'm clumsy uh, it's empty today a cup of coffee. A cup of coffee built in relationships. A cup of coffee where you spend time together. I have a friend of mine who intentionally goes to Starbucks once a week to spend an hour in Starbucks um, to drink coffee and to meet people. This is a starting Philip, when he went to Peter, banked on the fact that his brother would listen because they already had a relationship. A cup of coffee works both ways. Either a relationship that's already present or a relationship you want to start. But don't start it with the idea that, okay, two cups of coffee, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Kind of missed the point. The cup can only be intentional. This can't be happenstance. You have to plan this out. With relationships that already exist, family, friends, coworkers, people that you work out with at the gym, people that you run into on a fairly regular basis, when you find common ground, you talk about the common ground. It may very well be that that common ground is, you hear them singing, and they're actually able to hold the tune. I see you like music. I like music, too. Hey, can, what are you listening to right now? Oh, I'm listen, oh I love that band, and unless it's One Direction and nobody loves them. But, um, and if you do and I hurt your feelers, I'm not really sorry. Um, but you get that common point and then you start talking. And you don't try to pull the trigger yet. Because just like people can smell a preacher, people can also smell people who are trying to evangelize them because of the situation. But what I would say in this is if you're intentional about building relationships, it becomes a natural part of the conversation. If the relationship already exists then you talk about the things that matter. You talk about family, you talk about friends, you talk about work, you talk about all of those things and then at some point the conversation just naturally goes there and we've talked about a lot of important things over the last several times we've been together but I want to tell you now about what I think is the most important and you've developed a rapport and you've developed a relationship and you've developed a point of conversation. And so the cup of coffee, for me, gives me this this starting point, but also gives me an intentional building of community and building of trust. And the great thing is, again, you don't have to be a trained preacher to do this. In fact, it's better if you're not. Hey, I just want to get together and go to Panera and have a bagel. gluten free of course. (laughs) (laughs) Or, I just, let's go to BJ's. Depending on where you sit, you can actually have a decent conversation. Um, And you start talking about life. And it's from the conversations about life that you turn the conversation to what matters most in life. A hope and a promise that we have in Christ. But this, too, is also meant to draw people to a community of believers. You see, the Christian life is not meant to be lived solo, in isolation. It's meant to be lived in community. And so even though you may be having a conversation with somebody, or multiple conversations, eventually it's going to come back to the point where you say, you know, I'm part of a great church family. Where the Bible is upheld, where uh, God is, is encountered, where the ideas of more than just this life are about and I'd love to get you involved in such a way that you don't have to start something just come meet them many of us can tell the story of how maybe we got involved in a church setting because someone reached out and invested as I'm looking out on some of the faces in the room you already have that somebody said you matter And I want to spend some time with you. And then took that and maybe brought you here somewhere else. You see, the cup of coffee um, is probably the best evangelism strategy. What we see in Scripture over and over and over. It's built in relationship and then extended in community. Just out of curiosity, how many of you can have a conversation with coffee? or a meal I don't like to eat (laughs) at all and I'm told I'm really shy and don't like to talk Um, Right. but again you don't have to be like me there's no mandate in scripture to be an outgoing extrovert in order for this to happen in fact some of the best spiritual conversations come from those who may not have a lot to say publicly because they're waiting on the time to say it in the smaller section. Some of my dearest friends are as introverted as they can be and have the greatest message when they talk. It's easy when you're comfortable talking to people, but it doesn't have to be like this. How you live your life preaches far better than any 25, 35, 50-minute if Mike's preaching sermon. (laughs) And so I think about these two cups, and then I come to the last cup, the cup of communion. What is the message of the gospel, if I could give it to you in a couple of minutes? We actually demonstrate it every week here when we break the bread and we take the juice. Jesus' message when he came, the message of the gospel, his first real sermon looked like this. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's all he said. But that's heavy with meaning. If he's saying repent, he has this presupposition that there's something from which we need to repent. And the fact that he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand, it's present in him. So let's walk through those presuppositions and talk about what that would look like. If I'm having a conversation about the gospel at some point, I've got to talk about repentance. But I have to be able to talk about what sin is first. When God created everything in Genesis 1 and 2, everything was good. In Genesis 3, humanity fell in sin. And in that sin, not only was there a rift created between humanity and God, but there was created... A rift for all of us because it gets passed down and so in the midst of that Jesus' message is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand turn away from sin and accept and acknowledge the kingdom of God and so the first step is acknowledge maybe uh, not maybe acknowledge that you are a sinner acknowledge that we all sin scripture is very clear all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God that's everybody Jesus is the only one who doesn't qualify in that regard Scripture is also very clear that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we were deserving, not because we were of value in and of ourselves, but because something had to be done. In order for us to be part of the kingdom, in order for us to be citizens of the kingdom, something had to be done to take care of our sin. And so God demonstrates his own love. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so when we break the bread, when we take the juice... We do that in remembrance of that. And then we take a moment and we look ahead because this isn't just taken to remind us of that sacrifice, but it's taken to remind us of the hope that we have. Because the story doesn't end when Jesus is dead in the tomb. In fact, the story is just beginning. Three days later, Christ rises from the dead victorious and that resurrection, that hope of eternal life with him is what's promised. And so the gospel message takes us from an acknowledgement of sin to a belief in a resurrection and then finally to a commitment of our lives that causes us to acknowledge Christ as king. It is his kingdom that he's come to establish and so he tells us, repent for the kingdom of God is right here in front of you. How do you get from Starbucks to the kingdom of God? One step at a time. One step at a time. How do you get from an act of service and a cool cup of water to the kingdom of God? One step at a time. And then you get in community. And you wrestle with what our worldview says and what our world says about life and what the kingdom of God says about life and then you put all that together and you grow in community and you grow in faith and then you share that hope with others because presently those without Christ are dead in their sin and God through Christ is reconciling us bringing us back together with himself the message of the gospel is really very simple without Christ we are dead in our sin with Christ we can have hope of the resurrection and a life that is new as citizen kingdom, as citizens of the kingdom. It really is that simple. Not easy, but simple. And so today I want to challenge you. You're one of three people. Maybe today you've heard that message and you need to make that message your own. I invite you to come to the table to to participate in the breaking of bread. And the sharing of the juice. Maybe you're here today, you already have that relationship, you're already a citizen of the kingdom. And today I want to encourage you to come and remember. And maybe you're in that third category. Right? I have this, this is my story, but now it's time to tell others. Wherever you are, as we come to the table, Whether it's an act of service, whether it's relationships that are built ultimately, in Christ we share the same cup, the cup of community. And so today, I invite you to come and take of that cup.